1: Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. Despite getting swept by South Carolina earlier in the season, the Gators were not going to be denied at Condrum Ballpark last weekend, gutting the Gamecocks to earn their first trip to Omaha since 2018. On today's show, we'll be joined by FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry, and the voice of the Gators, Sean Kelly, to discuss baseball's return to the promised land, a pitching performance for the ages from Hurston Waldrop, Another national championship for the men's track and field program, a wave of new transfers coming into men's basketball, and franchises with the most agonizing title droughts in the PAT. Then, the aforementioned star of the Super Regional stops by, as Hurston Waldrop takes us inside his winding path to Gainesville and the dominant outing that punched Florida's ticket to the College World Series. But first, it's time for the Gator Roundtable, presented by Pet Paradise. Pet Paradise is your complete pet health care destination with resort style day camp, overnight boarding, professional grooming, and compassionate veterinary care from New Day, all located under one roof to serve pet fanatics like you. Book today at PetParadise.com, the official pet care provider of the Florida Gators. The weather is hot, and so is the Roundtable. We have FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Terry with us, as well as the voice the Gators, Sean Kelly. And uh, again, guys, a lot to discuss, which most programs cannot say uh, when you reach mid-June, but we'll start with the one that I think Gator Nation is most tuned into, and that is, of course, baseball returning to Omaha Remarkably, the Gators going back for the first time since 2018. Hard to believe Omaha has not had the Gators for that long, but that will end this year. And a lot of people contributed to that over the
2: weekend in the, the sweep of South Carolina. Yeah, isn't it interesting that this um, that this length of time has, has given us all a little bit of perspective about how hard it is uh, in this era of college baseball to consistently go to Omaha and play in the College World Series? Even... Kevin O'Sullivan himself has said during this postseason that he has a greater appreciation or maybe a better understanding of how difficult this is, uh, no matter what kind of a team you have. And so I think that there is something extra in um, Kevin O'Sullivan's mind as far as appreciating and enjoying this run right now. And certainly he takes a team up there that hasn't tasted uh, what the College World Series is about, other than um, that guy in the first base coach's box, you may remember a a Mike Rivera and what he and his team did in 2017. So it's a new experience for most. Uh, it is it is a return for the Gators who, who obviously have made enough visits that many probably around here feel like it's some kind of a birthright or something. And I just don't know if that's the case anymore in college baseball. Um, yes, there are some regulars, but shoot, even LSU uh, is thrilled to go back to Omaha for the first time since 2017. And that's a team that seemingly had a birthright back in the 90s and early 2000s. So uh, it's a remarkable run. I'm, I'm just – I'm super grateful, uh, and just speaking for me, in my first year here to, to be able to be a part of this, and also the fact that the Gators were able to host the regional and the super regional and allow their fans to celebrate alongside them and really watch Condren Ballpark uh, reach a new level with regard to an overall college baseball uh, experience. Remarkable. I mean, there's so much to talk about. You know, Scott, um, you have a little more history with this, you and Adam both. But um, I'm just, I'm still kind of on a, a bit of a high, I guess, over the last two weekends, and and hope that carries over this week on the
0: road. Yeah, Sean. I mean, haven't been around. Let's see the program since the 11th season. I've never seen uh, an atmosphere like we saw at Condor Ballpark. You know, last weekend. Um, it, you know, you had over uh, almost. You know, 8,500 people there, more than that in one of the games. It was a packed house. So exactly, I think, what uh, Athletic Director Scott Strickland envisioned uh, when they started to build that ballpark. uh, Because you knew the Gators under Kevin O'Sullivan, they've had such a good program. And now they have, you know, one of the best ballparks in the country. And here in 2023, he has uh, his team that's finally back in Omaha. And, guys, we've talked about this all season. I, I think all of us have set at different points. We we knew Omaha was a real possibility for this team. There were a little uh, ups and downs throughout the year, which is always going to happen in baseball. But with the way they responded after that loss to Texas Tech in the Gainesville Regional, uh, they are really playing some good ball right now. They've won five in a row, three of those elimination games, and they really took care of South Carolina. A lot easier fashion than, quite frankly, I was expecting. I mean, I've seen South Carolina and Florida go at it for a better part of a decade, a lot of those in the postseason. And they usually, uh, those are just nip and tuck games. But the Gators behind that starting pitch and and certainly Hurston Waldrop in game two, uh, they gave the home fans something to cheer about. And and now I think, uh, you know, everybody who follows the Gators uh, even kind of casually... They've really rallied around this baseball team. You can see the the interest peaking uh, at this time of year, guys. Um, I'll
2: say this. Friday night's game one with South Carolina was a championship-caliber baseball game, something you'll see in Omaha, maybe even in the final weekend series when it comes down to the final two teams. 5-4 win for Florida, uh, nip and tuck the whole way, just as you'd expect. And the Gators are doing some things – uh, that I think will serve them well in Omaha. We'll get to the pitching again in a minute. But, you know, Kevin O'Sullivan goes to a little more small ball because of the weather the last two weekends. Uh they're getting production from guys like Colby Halter who at one time had the job, then lost the job, gets the job back and maneuvering some guys around the outfield. Uh and Scott, you'll agree with me on this too. The Gators win and and, and probably an easier fashion on Saturday, but yet they do so without Wyatt Langford getting a hit, which uh, if you'd have told me that going into Saturday's game too, I'd, I'd have thought, boy, that's that's not a good thing for Florida. But, again, I think it goes back to that pitching that Scott referred to. It will be the case for all the eight teams in Omaha. Hurston Waldrop's performance on Saturday was nothing short of remarkable, and that bullpen has just been steady as a rock. And um, and even Brandon Sprode, after getting hit hard early in his outing on Friday, settled in and got to where the bullpen could be set up in the way that Kevin O'Sullivan likes.
1: It is interesting, Sean. I was actually, when you started saying that, I was just pulling up some numbers about some of the areas Florida would have expected to get production offensively that they didn't and still finding a way. Uh, and again, it is easier to do that when you've got great pitching. And we're going to hear in a few minutes from Hurston Maldrip, but that was one of those performances where it's kind of like a, a star is born in, in front of your eyes and I was actually texting some people during the game. It's very rare to see Sully let a guy throw that many pitches. I, I imagine if he was watching the Stanford Texas game, you might have had a heart attack with a guy that threw 155 the other night. Um, but it was really just a, it was it was a testament to how dominant he was uh, and the kind of performance you see. And you think, well, if you could replicate that one two more times in Omaha, then we got a good chance to win this thing.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think Saturday was a culmination of why Waldrop came to Florida and why Florida wanted Waldrop. I mean, I, we've watched this progression all year. Let's not discount the body of work here, but it was certainly his most special performance in orange and blue, uh, and it comes at the right time. But, look, um, well, Hurston wanted to come here for a chance to go to Omaha. He has been a big part of uh, checking that box, accomplishing that goal. And certainly Kevin O'Sullivan felt like Waldrop was a guy that could, could be um, – you know, one of the key pieces in what has been a very reliable starting rotation for Florida. So, yeah, I mean, you're peaking, you're culminating, you're doing all those, you know, pick your action word here uh, at the right time. And I think while maybe on paper, Wake Forest is the most complete team going into the field of eight here, uh, Florida's 1A in my eyes.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think when you look at this team, uh, it all starts with the pitching as we've, we've discussed. But You know, Waldrop was kind of the the guy when you transfer in like he did uh, with all the, I guess, accolades he brought from Southern Miss. And it's kind of ironic, guys. I mean, Southern Miss came so close to making the College World Series, uh, losing to Tennessee finally last night. But, you know, he almost uh, saw his old team uh, in Omaha. But he made a good choice, and he was never any better than – on Saturday, you know, early in that game, you just sense something special. Uh The way he was locating his fastball, you know, it was consistently 96, 97, 98. And then, of course, when he's doing that, he's he's got the great off-speed stuff to really keep the hitters off balance. And I, I mean, it was it was a masterful, masterful performance, as good as any pitching performance I've seen with the Gators. And that's saying something when you think about names like Brady Sr. and Alex Fado and Jackson Kowar and Logan Shore, A.J. Puck, you know, you just keep going on and on. I mean, that's how good Hurston Waldrop was. And, you know, as uh, I'll remember not only the performance, but just, you know, with his family after the game. I mean, you know, his dad, uh, he, he, they come to every game and they were overjoyed just being there, able to see that. And he said, you know, he just this is what he came to Florida for. So glad to see him get this chance. And and now, you know, you take what he did, what Sproat did, like Sean mentioned, really settled in in that game one. And we've seen what Caglione's done. He had a great outing in the Gainesville Regional uh, against Fort AM. and m So they've got the starting pitching. They've got the bullpen in the pieces that they need. And I, I just think Omaha is it's going to – I've seen it too many times. Even though the ball is – Playing big this year, home runs are flying out. I still think pitching is going to be key out there because that has proven to be a pitcher's park over the years.
1: So let's talk about the World Series in the field. And what I think is important, because it can get overwhelming when you look at all the names. There's big names there. You mentioned Wake Forest, LSU, Stanford. Um, It's really, you only have to worry about half the field. And even then, you won't play every team in all likelihood. So what's in front of Florida is Virginia. They're the seventh seed. They're undoubtedly one of the best teams there. Um, But the other two... Oral Roberts, which is this remarkable Cinderella story, uh, and then TCU, who got a little bit of a, a weird lucky break with being able to host despite not being a national seed. There's a whole other story behind that that's actually pretty cool and heartwarming if you want to check that out. Um, but what's in front of Florida is Virginia. And if you take care of business, it's a very simple path. And then you only have to worry about one of those big names on the other side that emerges for a championship series. So. Talk about the draw and what we think about where Florida is in this bracket.
0: Well, you know, you look at the two brackets, guys. I mean, I think most people are probably going to pick Florida's bracket if you had to pick one or two. You know, Uh, over in that other bracket, you got two very familiar foes in Tennessee and LSU, and they'll play in their first game out there. But Florida gets Virginia, who has history against the Gators in the College World Series, and you look at their record, I mean, it's almost as good as Florida's. I mean, it's a very – Actually, I think they maybe have two less losses. I think they're fifty and thirteen. The Gators are about well, fifty and fifteen. So Virginia is a very, very good team. Uh, I just and then you've got guys, and we uh, we'll talk about this, or we can now because I think they may be the most interesting story out there. And Oral Roberts, I mean, you saw what they did against Oregon uh, on Saturday after Florida's game. I was in the office writing and I had that game on TV. And man, that walk-off win they had, that was just one of the, the special moments that, you know, college postseason baseball delivers. And it was the day
1: after they blew an eight nothing lead and lost yeah. game one. Yeah. Which is even yeah. more unlikely
0: on the road. So I mean it was just a roller coaster that they they finished on top. And uh you're always wary of those kind of teams. Uh because they've got that mojo, as we like to say in sports. It seems to be working for them right now. Uh, so I do like Florida's side of the bracket, though. Um, well, uh, you know, it doesn't really mean much on paper. We all know that. But like I said earlier, if you're going to pick one of the two sides to be in, I would imagine uh, they like being out of the bracket with uh, that LSU and Tennessee are in.
2: Yeah, I, Scott, I, I agree with you on those points. I also agree with you about careful with hot teams this time of year. Oral Roberts has won twenty-one of their last twenty-two. I'm mm. um, man yeah. enough to admit I cannot name all the teams in the summit league, but that's where Oral Roberts is coming from. Um and um, they joined the likes of Stony Brook and Fresno State as, you know, Cinderella type stories here. Not to mention you 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 know, you mentioned TCU, who is on an 11-game winning streak last time I checked. So red hot there. And then, again, probably the biggest challenge on this side of the ledger is that Virginia team that I think, I think, and we, we keep coming back to pitching, I think they are in a good position pitching-wise. Um, it's just arm after arm. They hit for average. They have a tremendous team batting average coming in. And they've got veterans and a head coach who, by the way, is taking them to Omaha for the sixth time. He's a very smart coach and Brian O'Connor. So – um think of it you know it's it's a regional and a super regional that's what you're you're Mm -hmm. smashing together here up in Omaha and so these first two games for the Gators are ultra huge just like in a regional get game one for a spot in the driver's seat game if you win game two which would be on Sunday night in this case for the Gators that's two days off and you make somebody else have to beat you two times that's the formula to get into this thing and yeah, on paper, the other side, of the, the the ledger, the other regional, if you will, going on there. Uh, yeah, a lot of blue bloods and heavyweights. But um, I the more I think about Florida side, the more cautious I am um, because of the two red-hot teams and a, a well-put-together Virginia squad.
1: So we'll see how things shake out in Omaha. And of course, we'll talk about next week where things stand for Florida. We'll know a lot more at that point about this path to a national championship. Um, But another Gator team already reached the summit of a national championship this past weekend. And that would be men's track and field back to back. Another title for Mouse also known as Mike Holloway, um, and continues to be one of the best coaches, not just on campus, but in the country, and just continues winning and winning and winning uh, with no signs of slowing down in, in the, the near future.
3: Gators have 47 national championships now, and uh, he has 25% of them. Wow. And uh, I guess that statistic is going to keep rising as long as he keeps coaching here Um the Gators didn't have a great indoor season track uh, because they didn't win any champion uh, any national championships. I guess that's the, that's the bar now. I, I, I think this was what one, a little bit, a little bit of a surprise and they, they did it despite a, a, a DQ in the 200 and we're still able to, it came down to the, to the four by four and the four by four men's team already had the national collegiate record that they set last year and, of course, they broke the National Collegiate record um, on the last event of the night to uh, hold off Arkansas. It really wasn't a, a race. much uh, Arkansas needed to finish fourth. I think they finished last or next to last in that race. Um, next thing you know, file photo of Mouse Holloway, you know, raising up the NCAA uh, National Championship trophy. Another phenomenal season for that program. Um, you know, two national championships, throw, rolling golf uh, within 10 days. Um, I think it's it's interesting to point out uh, when we exited spring Gators were, I believe, 25th in the Sears Director Cup standings and then never finished out of the top 10. And depending on what happens in baseball uh, this week, because of what golf did, because of what Mouse Holloway's teams did, uh, the Gators are going to finish safely in the top 10. Uh, after after jumping up and making making quite a rally from that so congratulations to them and let's not forget what happened the next night. the women finished second it was mm-hmm. a distant second and they but I mean they they perform well uh, uh Jasmine Moore won another national championship individual national championship in the triple jump. She's going to be a factor in the Olympics next year. Obviously, um, there's no shame in finishing second, uh, even even un, under Mouse Holloway's watch. But a fantastic performance once again by by that program and uh, and those men and women.
1: Twitter is such a good place for uh, for shade, and I think I saw I saw a few tweets that were something on the lines of, "You know, Florida's won the same number of national titles in the last ten days." as uh you know programs i think it was miami was on the list tennessee is on the list that they've won in you know in, in 10 years or even in some cases since the the turn of the century so it's really you just you can't it's so easy to take for granted the success that florida has across the board but when you think about other programs in comparison that aren't named stanford uh it's certainly impressive when you sit back and, and get some perspective um a program that's trying to get back to a national championship level is men's basketball. And and Chris, this is not usually that busy a time of year, uh, but tons of roster moves in the last few days alone uh, for Todd Golden that have really drastically shaped what this upcoming team is going to look like and, and filled some key holes as well.
3: Yeah, and I think we talked about how they've remade the front court Um, just one of the worst rebounding teams in the country last season. Um, They weren't going to stand for that again. Uh, Just another transfer portal um, Bonanza, six guys uh, from the transfer portal. The most recent was Zion Pullen. Uh, He's a point guard from UC Riverside Uh, first team, all big West conference last year, average 18 points a game. He's not a, I think one of the things the Gators really, really wanted, in this uh, shopping spree transfer portal um, season was a knockdown dead-eye three-point shooter, something they have not had in a while. Um, they really wanted Tyler Perry from uh, from North Texas. He ended up going to Kansas State. Um, this guy's not a bad consolation prize by any stretch of the imagination, but not because he's a three-point shooter. He's not. He did take 420 shots last year, which is 100 more than the most uh, – prolific shooter for florida was last year and that was colin castleton who of course the season came up seven games short but zion pullen is a highly efficient offensive player but from two point range now he shot 40 percent from three or not just shy of 40 percent from three but he's a uh, more of a traditional point guard scoring point guard uh four assists a game four and a half rebounds a game so now they got some facilitated they got a facilitator um I think they can share that. He can share that position with uh, Walter Clayton Jr., the uh, transfer from Iona, who was, I think, their first, number one priority going into the offseason. So now they got four legitimate perimeter options. in, of course, uh, Riley Kugel and Will Richard and Walter Clayton Jr., and now Zion Pullen, Roland Denzel Aberdeen, who's a guy who they, they think highly of, a developmental guy who didn't play very much last year, but has been a mainstay in the uh, in the building now now you talk about the front court which they rebuilt with EJ Jarvis from Yale <clears throat> excuse me Tyree Samuel from uh, from Seton Hall and Micah Hanlockton from Marshall man this is really hard to go off the top of your head trying to remember all these freaking transfers by the way um so, so <laughs> but I, 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 think, I think I just I think I just nailed them on that's seven guys. That will be their core rotation uh, next season. Three guys in the front court that have uh, proven themselves uh, at, at their previous locations. And unlike the last couple years of transfers, these guys aren't necessarily coming from Missouri, Kansas City or Charleston Southern. I'm not trying to cast aspersions on on Brandon McKissick and Flan Fleming. Those guys are really good players where they were. But uh, uh, Tyree Samuel was a big time player at Seton Hall. OK, um, congratulations on Todd Golden. He has remade the roster in, in a way he wasn't going to go through another year where he thinks he's limited on offense and he has to uh, cover his eyes every time a, a, a shot goes up from the other team. He's going to have guys that are going to go to the glass and uh, uh, rim run and they can run more offense, more conducive to what Kevin Hubday and Todd Golden want to run with the personnel that they brought in uh, this offseason.
1: So yeah, things definitely looking up for uh, for Todd Golden's team, and we'll be excited to see them continue to take form moving into next season. Let's hit our PAT now, which was inspired by the Denver Nuggets breaking through and winning their first championship in history almost 50 years that franchise has been around and finally winning a title. And it got me thinking about some long-suffering franchises that are still waiting for, if not their first turn, To hoist a trophy um they're first in a very long time that's that's seen a lot of suffering come before it so uh when you guys think about that which franchise do you think should be next who who most needs a championship to uh to save their their fan base in their city
0: well i'll start he does not need it for any other reason other than I mean, he doesn't have a lot, a lot of time left. I'm guessing. I mean, Jerry Jones is what about 87 <laughs> years old? I mean, the Dallas Cowboys, man. <laughs> well, they haven't won in a, in a Super Bowl since 1995, and I remember when I was younger, that was my team, and it seemed like forever from the Roger Staubach days until Troy Aikman and Emmitt Smith in 19 what 92 season finally won it. just seemed forever and then they won three and four years and I'm thinking man they're gonna this is great they're just gonna keep winning like forever but we all know what happened Jimmy Johnson left and Jerry got to got to run things by himself and I think there's been some questionable results in the 28 years since so when I think of pro sports droughts I mean that's the one that jumps to my mind but in terms of the longevity and the historical perspective you know once the Red Sox and White Sox won back to back years in baseball, the two longest ones out. So
3: I'm I'm sorry. I you're you're complaining about the Dallas Cowboys. They got five Super Bowl trophies. What about the Cleveland Browns? It's America's team, Chris. It's America's team. Cleveland Browns haven't won one, I don't think, since 1965. I mean, yeah, but they, they are I,
0: not a Dallas Cowboys. What
3: about the Buffalo Bills? For God's sakes, I they would go say to Buffalo. the Super Bowl all the time and lose. I mean, the Dallas Cowboys? Come on, man. I just, Jeez. I just need
0: the Cowboys need one so they can increase their value <laughs> and just you know, send Jerry out into a Dallas good ball.
3: Cowboys. Sean, come on.
0: What about the New York basketball <laughs> Knicks,
3: for God's sake, How is that, that still too. the
2: mecca of basketball? <laughs> the New York Knicks fan base has Ooh. tried to reconjure Willis Reed now for 50 years. So good luck on that one, by the way, coming to fruition. But yeah, sure. I You know, Cleveland Browns, do they even have a shot? I think, Adam, is the question who is, who is next or
1: who's the longest suffering? Well it's, it's who is most deserving of their suffering ending. Um and I would I oh. would disqualify the Browns from that because of Deshaun Watson. Um it's
3: gotta but, be the Bills. Gotta gotta be the Bills with those I would fans. Say it's and Bills. that and, and that cold. And that cold.
0: Yeah. Uh, schools do with cowboys. <laughs> journalism term.
2: I'll localize the story somewhat. I know one team that I hope doesn't. And that would be the Wake Forest Demon Deacons, who are back in the College World Series for the <laughs> yeah. first time since 1955 when they won it. Yeah. And I don't want them to win this time around, so I hope that draw continues.
3: By the way, I was senior in high school when the Washington Bullets, and that's I can get canceled for saying that probably too, won their NBA title. They're only one in franchise history. So that's been uh 45 years. And since then they haven't it, the it's been 40 45 five years since they've won 50 games and 45 years since they've been in the uh, NBA uh, in a conference final. And those are both the longest droughts in the NBA. So, uh, you know, throw throw the hat in the ring for the for us long suffering Bullets and Wizards fans, by the way.
1: So here's here's how I would adjudicate this. You guys tell me if it's fair, because I thought about a lot of these as well. I'm going to disqualify the Knicks because the Giants have won a couple of Super Bowls in the last 10, 15 years, Uh, I'm also going to disqualify the Browns because LeBron won a title for the city of Cleveland, um, which takes me to the Buffalo Bills because nothing good has happened to Buffalo, I I think, ever. So would you guys, by process elimination there, considering other factors, do you think we can agree, maybe with the exception of Scott, who's off on this weird Cowboys Island, can we agree that Buffalo is, is the most deserving, given all other factors, and and to am sorry. Uh, obviously, the Nationals just won a title for the city of
0: DC. Is that fair? Yeah, it's, um, yeah, yeah. I think so. Sure. Like, the Cowboys, the Rangers are <laughs> one of the teams that never won the major or World Series. The Stars, have they ever won the NHL Cup in Dallas? And the Mavericks, they played for an NBA title. That they they lost to the Heat, right? No, the Mavericks won. The no, won. the Mavericks have won a title. Yeah. Okay, okay, so. You ever heard of Dirt Nowitzki, Scott? <laughs> yeah, I remember when Shaq beat him in 2006. Like I said, guys, I was just going with the team with the most fans in America. They I, I, it, they serve the most people, so that's why I said the Cowboys. But I, I can see I'm getting some pushback.
2: No, no Toronto Maple Leafs love here?
0: Toronto, they, that would be one that deserves some mention.
1: But the Raptors won a title, so again the city
3: had oh, a. You lift. keep you keep throwing you keep throwing a city out there, but I mean, like you said, the Giants. I mean, I'm sure there's some Knicks fans that hate the Giants. So I mean, what? Uh, that's the, probably fair. I, I mean, I don't know. Ask Bill Bradley if you know you know what she cares about. I'm just talking about. There's hardcore Knicks fans. They had Patrick Ewing and that and that they, they came so close all those years. Had really good teams or whatever, but I mean, that's a that's a long that's a long time for a New York franchise not to have a championship.
2: Adam keeps moving the goalposts. First it was a team, now it's a city. So right. which
3: state is most deserving of ending their drop?
2: <laughs> go.
1: It's getting it's actually getting a little heavy <laughs> carrying this goalpost around, so I'll go ahead and shut it down there. Um, but thank you guys for, uh, for your spirited contributions, even Scott's, that I think made... Arguably less sense than any answer we've had in, in recent history. Um, but you guys will have all the answers necessary this weekend in Omaha as the Gators get after it. So we encourage everybody to stay locked into FloridaGators.com for the latest updates, content, and more. And, uh, guys, hopefully next week we're talking about the Gators in the driver's seat. But until then, thank you very much. Thanks, Adam. Go Cowboys. While there have been countless changes to the landscape of college athletics in the last few years, the transfer portal continues to prove it may be the most impactful, with coaches able to strategically pull players from all over the country to fill critical holes and make upgrades. In the case of the Gators, Kevin O'Sullivan has hit the jackpot in recent years, with game-changing acquisitions like BT Ryapel and and Waldrop trading in mid-major jerseys for the orange and blue. Waldrip, in particular was hoping for the chance to compete against a higher level of competition and increase his odds of going to Omaha, both of which came to pass over the weekend thanks to the juniors' performance on the mound in Game 2.
4: it felt like another game for me, honestly, like walking into the, the locker room, you know, every, everything was the same. Everyone was the same. You know, I, I think we were just we were preparing to play another baseball game, really. Um, and I, like that's that's what we've done all year. And that's that's what I feel like has been pretty special is like it's it you know, we're never too amped up in the moment. We're always um, very even keel and, you know, we can handle any moment that's thrown at us. So you know, walking into the locker room, doing everything that I normally do on a game day, and then the rain delay hit, obviously, and so it was kind of like we're sitting around waiting, and then, you know, I was about five minutes from starting my throwing program when they told me to go inside, so dealing with that and then having to sit around and wait and, you know, the nerves of having to sit around and wait as someone who is not uh, very patient when it comes to <laughs> out, and, um, being forced in, inside, and I, I don't really do well with that, so um, it, it was it was fine up until that rain delay, and then we had to sit down. And it was just like my feet are tapping, my hands are tapping. I'm ready to go, ready to get outside and get on the field. Just, to, I mean, just to play, really. So, um, but no, it was the whole day was really awesome.
1: So, from a, an outsider standpoint, you see, okay, they're playing South Carolina. They got swept by South Carolina about a month ago. How much was that weighing on whether it's you, whether you felt it in, in the locker room, or did it not matter what happened against them earlier this year? I mean, it, it was
4: obviously at the back of our heads. Cause like, I mean, that's, that's a big deal. Like we lost, we lost two series. I think, I think it was just two the whole year. And so to be paired up with the one series that you got swept by, um, you know, that's kind of like a, oh, okay. Like this isn't going to be any, this isn't going to be a cakewalk by any means. So it wasn't like a a weighing on our shoulders in the back of our head, but it was a. I, I could, I guess you could say it was a little bit of a chip on our shoulder, mm-hmm. um, knowing that that was that was our past with them. Um, so, when we found out before the regionals that we were paired up with them, we we're like, all right, we're we're winning this regional. Like we have to play this team again. So, uh, like, they, it would just be an awesome environment to know that like they swept us. They're coming to our place to play super regional, and then. I mean, really, it was, you know, they were playing really good baseball. We were playing really good baseball. And so just seeing how it all played out, we were just, we were we were more ready to play than anxious or nervous or scared. I think we were just ready to accept the challenge of playing them again.
1: So obviously, much different result, right? You get swept in the road, you bring it to Gainesville, you sweep them in two. What do you think changed? Were there a lot of adjustments that were made? Did you guys focus a lot on... On tape from from that series, what do you think was was the difference? I
4: mean, I don't. I wouldn't say we focused on tape. I think I think the only thing that we really benefited from was knowing knowing their team. Really, we didn't really like harp on on our losses and like what we did wrong up there. It was more of a, okay, this is what they do well. This is what we do well, and I think our best baseball is better than their best baseball. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, we had one bad weekend. Like it is what it is. Really. And it's part of baseball, you know. Everyone has bad weekends here and there, bad games. Like it's it's impossible to be perfect in this game. So, I think we just we took the knowledge and we took the we took the losses and the failures. We learned from them. We moved on, and um, really just looked at it as another opportunity to play.
1: In terms of what you did out on the mound, I, I saw that you said. You had a terrible bullpen going in and, and maybe you didn't think you had your best stuff. Uh turns out you probably did have your best stuff. At what point did you realize that that you had your your best stuff and that you were capable of having the kind of performance that you did? Yeah, I I
4: did say that about my bullpen. My bullpen was pretty bad. Um but that like that's that's one of those things that like like me and Brandon Sproat and um Jack we talk about it all the time we're like we don't let our pregame bullpens define us because if you let that affect you before the game even starts and you're already in that negative mindset so i mean it really it wasn't a good bullpen but i i couldn't let it affect or change how i attacked the game and so i went out in the first inning and it was pretty much just a reset of everything that i'd done before that it was like Nothing, nothing I've done before this matters. Nothing I've done before this is going to help me win this game. Like where I am right now in this given moment is what's going to help me win this game and how I approach this game. So went out there with that mindset and knew that I didn't have to try or do anything special because it was a super regional game. We were playing them. They'd beat us, whatever. Um, Just going out there and being who I am and being myself and, I mean, I, I think it was like the middle of the first inning after the the miscommunication with the pop-up and um, having to deal with that first batter of the game and just not letting it affect me and settling in, in that first and second inning and just keep on rolling.
1: You had a record crowd on hand for this. It was it was quite rowdy down there. Um, what was that like, having the ballpark just as amped as it was and in, in record form?
4: Yeah, I mean, that's what you need in, in those scenarios. That's what you that's what you want to play with. That's what you want to play in front of. Um, you wanna be with those those big crowds. You wanna have the fans in the moment and just there to support you the whole way. And so to have that and in the big moments, you know, there's eighty, five hundred people standing up and clapping and cheering and yelling and um you know just they had our backs from from the first pitch of of the game on Friday and they've they've had our backs all year they they've been with us through the ups and the downs and you know even if we had a bad weekend away um or a bad Friday night game they were there they were there on Saturday to keep us
1: going and to pick us up so it's it's been awesome to have us have them there all year so when you go to omaha you get to dog pile right i'm curious where have you had a dog pile experience before and if so uh, what was the strategy? Was it self-preservation? Because I'm watching that and I'm thinking, oh, man, that's a terrible way to get hurt before you go to Omaha. So what's the what's the, the dog pile 101? Oh, no. It, it, in that moment, you don't care.
4: You know, you just <laughs> you just want a baseball game with your guys and you're going to Omaha. You're going to the to the best part of college baseball. And so you, you don't really care. You know that I think BT and Neely started it and then uh, everyone just kind of piled on from there. So I don't I don't know where I, was. I think I was like the second level of that I was like, <laughs> right of BT or something. And I don't even remember. I just remember jumping on and I I think I blacked out from there. I was just I was just so excited, so happy and just taking the moment in. So, I, I mean, at, in the end of it, everyone's like, oh, I got hit. And I, like, all this <laughs> stuff. But I mean, really, we don't care. Like it, it it is what it is. We're just we're just enjoying the moment.
1: It's all fun and games until someone gets hurt. Luckily, nobody was hurt. So it doesn't matter doesn't matter um so i want to talk more about going to omaha in in a bit but i want to wind the clock back here if we can and and talk about your your start where you came from before you got to gainesville uh long before that can you tell us a little bit about your family and uh and where you grew up
4: yeah so i'm from from south georgia thomasville georgia i grew up on a wild quail um we call it a plantation it's i mean that's that's what thomasville is known for is um quail hunting, and um, bird dogs, horses. Um, it's a very historic place. And so I grew up doing that my whole life. Um, my dad is a dog trainer. He um, he runs the quail hunts. Um, so I grew up in the woods. I've always loved being outdoors. I love everything about nature and hunting. And um, that's usually where you can find me in my free time if I'm not on the baseball field is either in the deer stand or um, somewhere on a lake um, trying to catch fish. So uh, Thomasville is a pretty small place. I played at Thomasville High School my uh, sophomore, junior, and senior year. Played football all three of those years. I was a kicker and played a little bit of quarterback. And then I have, sibling-wise, I have 25-year-old brother, a 19-year-old sister, and an 8-year-old sister. Hmm um so we're all we're a little spread out but they were all my older brother and my younger sister played soccer growing up um no one else in my family really played baseball huh. so um it was a little it was a little weird for me to play uh be playing high school baseball my brother played when he was little but wasn't ever serious about it and then my dad didn't really play much in high school so I don't. I don't really know how I got into baseball. Honestly, I think I think my friend group growing up played, and so I I got invited to go play with them, and I've been playing since I was six years old, playing t-ball. Uh, I remember playing with a cast on my hand because I was a very injury-prone kid. <laughs> um, so I played a couple of years with a cast on my left hand, and then um, back to high school, I committed to Southern Miss. My junior year, graduated from Thomasville. Uh, COVID year, so I didn't get to play in my senior year of high school. And hmm. um, I think we played eight games and then got canceled uh, because of COVID. And then went to Southern Miss for freshman year. And um, I played a little bit. I think I ended up with 15 or so innings, not very many. Um, didn't play much the first half of the year. And then ended up closing a little bit at the end of the year. And then my sophomore year – Uh, started had I would say had a pretty successful sophomore year and um, we made it to Super Regional ended up playing Ole Miss in the Super Regional who ended up winning the whole thing so um, that was that was a lot of fun that was a very very good team uh, a lot of good memories from there and then uh, entered the transfer portal and here we are.
1: So you you mentioned ending up at Southern Miss Uh, what was the process like to get there? were there a lot of places you're looking at were you considering going somewhere you know way different in the country or was it always you wanted to sort of stay kind of southeastern i'm not i wouldn't say i was a homebody
4: but i i just i grew up in in the woods and so knowing that i would be so far from um you know my my home and uh somewhere that i loved and something that i loved doing as a hobby um i i didn't really like that so i kind of wanted to stay close and um stay close to, to where I grew up and, and to my home. And so I didn't really have many offers coming out of high school. I think I had maybe two. Hmm. Um, and Southern Miss was just the biggest one. Um, it was the best offer. And scholarship-wise, it made the most sense. And, I mean, it was a decent ways from home, but it wasn't terrible. Uh, my family was able to come to most of the games, and they, they tried to make every home game that there was. And so it just it just made the most sense for me to go there out of high school.
1: So in terms of how you got to where you are now, uh I'm curious what went into your decision to transfer and and why was Florida the right place that second time around?
4: Yeah, it was it was
1: definitely a hard decision,
4: but I mean in reality it was I'm very very hard on myself. Um I I'm more hard on myself than anyone and I I push myself to the to the utmost standard of being the best that I can be and doing every single thing that I can do to be the best that I can be and so when I made that decision pretty much I was I wanted to be in SEC. Um that was always my goal in high school. And that was, you know, that was something that I wanted to do is knowing that I could play at the next level and pushing myself to the absolute maximum. Um so I, that was my goal when I entered the portal was to be able to play an SEC in SEC and Florida. The their track record of having great pitchers. Um, you know, you see guys like Brady Singer and then Alex Fido And I mean, Sully talks about them all the time and, and the success that they had. So it was it was really a pretty easy choice. And I mean, we're I'm, I'm two hours from home now and mm. um, I get to see my family almost every weekend. And I get to, you know, like I said, I get to go back and get to do a little bit of deer hunting in the fall and I get to go back and fish after a Sunday game now. And so it's just it's been really nice. It's been a, a great experience from the school and um, just everyone here, the support staff, the coaches, the players, it's been, um, hasn't been a single regret of any decision. So it's been really fun.
1: Yeah, there's a good number of transfers on this team that are pretty prominent guys. So I'm curious when you came in, were there other guys who were also going through that that you sort of bonded with and, and who that was already on the team took you under their wing, kind of brought you into the fold?
4: Yeah, so obviously BT he came from Coastal Carolina. Dale Thomas from Coastal Carolina. Cleet Hartzog came from a junior college. He's actually my roommate, so hmm. um, we we get me and him got along pretty well going through this process. And he he was kind of the same way I was. He wasn't really recruited the best out of high school, and um, kind of had a chip on his shoulder for it. And he wanted to prove everyone that you know he deserved to be here and that he deserved to to play at this level. And so. It just guys like that, and seeing um, you know more so the the pitcher and um, the catcher side of it, especially with BT going through that experience. But um, really, when I got here, uh, me and me and Brandon Sproke clicked pretty easy. Um, so to have that, and you know, I I pretty much knew he was going to be the Friday guy from the start. So we we both accepted that. We both accepted that we weren't fighting against each other. We were fighting for the Gators, and so being able to have that relationship and build that relationship with him. Um, it's been really cool to see because, you know, we both knew what we were here to do and he came back for a reason and I I came here for a reason. So um, both using that to our advantage and not, uh not going against each other for it.
1: You mentioned the, the desire to be in the SEC to face the best as you've done that this year. How difficult was that in terms of, what areas did you have to grow the most in? What adjustments did you have to make to be ready for that increased level of competition?
4: Yeah, it's it's definitely been a change. I mean, I, I you know you can look at my stats. You know, it's it's been a it was it was a rough year for a little bit. <laughs> um, so seeing that change and being able to make that change and learn as a as a person, um, I I've loved every bit of it. You know, even even through all the failures, everything that's happened this year. Um, I don't regret a single bit of it. So being able to face guys that, you know, pay, play teams like Texas A&M, it felt like they knew exactly where the pitch was going to end up cuz they were not swinging at it. Um, teams like Kentucky, they were they weren't going to strike out, they were going to get on base. Georgia, they were one of the best hitting teams we faced and then South Carolina obviously. Um, just a all-around really really good team. I mean, they were they were very mature and so playing them earlier in the year it was like the whole year. It was like oh, well, we just played, um, well, we played Alabama. Oh, well, we can relax a little bit. You know, they were they were pretty good. Oh, well, you have to turn around and play Auburn. It's like, you know, every, every weekend you're playing someone that felt like those was in the top 25. Like it didn't, no weekend felt like it was an off weekend. So having that to, you know, to fall back on and take it as a challenge and learn and learn these lineups, learn these hitters, you had to study them. You know, it wasn't like you could just show up at the park and, Throw your best stuff, and because I mean, they knew they knew who we were just as well as us knowing them. So they they knew what we were good at, and we knew what they were good at. So it was a it was a head on battle every weekend.
1: You mentioned some of the names uh, a few minutes ago, but your know, Sully is so well known for the uh, the incredible list of pitchers he has helped produce. Working with him over the the year that you've been at Florida, how have you seen your game change the most? Where where has Sully had the biggest impact on you?
4: I think he's helped me the most, really, in in learning how to learning how to pitch. I mean, like not many people teach that. Really, it's a someone might say like, "Oh, well, you're a pitcher. You know, you should know how to pitch." Well, there's a difference between throwing and pitching. Mm-hmm. So, learning how, like in the fall, we talked about this a lot of sequencing and how I have four pitches that I can use. And he wanted me to be able to command all four pitches in any count. You know, be able to throw my splitter to righties. Um, that was a big thing. being able to land my curb on early counts and then just have my slider to do whatever we want with it, you know. so I think I think he helped me a lot with pitchability, learning how to pitch, learning how to call my own game. me and BT, um calling my own game, and so he could kind of sit back and watch. And, um, you know, after the game, we'd have a – we'd sit down and we'd have a phone call every Monday and we'd just talk about certain things, or he'd call me that night if he couldn't wait to talk about it. And we'd talk for, you know, 30 minutes, an hour, just about random things and things that happened in the game and how I approached it, you know, body language, um, how to handle the the big moments in the game. And so I I think that's something he does really well is preparing guys to pretty much – pitch at the next level like that's that's what he treats us he he treats us like big league arms and so um he wants us to be able to do it on our own and to to be that mature to when we get to the next level that you know we've already been through it for a year that we've already handled those types of situations
1: in terms of uh, of guys you see at the next level that maybe inspire you that motivate you are there certain players you've always looked up to guys you've modeled parts of your game after
4: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've always been a Max Scherzer fan. Like, I'm a huge Braves fan, and so when he was with the Nationals, it was like it's kind of like you can't really (laughs) really root for him when he's pitching against the Braves. But it was I've I've always loved the way he pitches, and like I read um, it was before the season starts. Started, I think it was his um, draft profile coming out of Missouri, and it was just talking about like his mentality and like scouts never saw him as a as a starter because of how aggressive he was. And they were like, he's he's going to end up being a closer by the time he gets to the major league level. Um, and so that always inspired me because I've I've always kind of been told the same thing. Like, I won't ever be a starter because I'm so aggressive and I get so amped up in the early innings and, like, I can't control my adrenaline. And so that he's always been a pretty big inspiration to me with how he handled that. And he didn't care what they had to say. You know, he's obviously one of the best starting pitchers in the game right now um and then tyler glass now i would have to say i've modeled a good bit of my pitching style after because we're pretty similar um he's obviously a little bit bigger than me but pretty similar in arm slot and pitch style and kind of how we do things on the mound
1: Uh, i think i'm correct in saying that no one on this team has been to omaha before is that right yes sir that's correct so yeah so what's What's that like? How do you guys get ready for that? Do you are you reaching out to other people who've been before? how do you prepare for something that none of you have had the chance to experience before? Well, as a team, I think
4: we're all kind of like kids in a candy store right now. Um, you know, we're we're so excited to do this. It's not even funny like ever since we've won that game on Saturday, I, I think pretty much everyone's had a smile on their face knowing that you know we get to do this and we get to do it as a team. But from the experience side, you know, Sully and Chuck and um, you know, some of the other guys that have been before and then our our equipment manager, Eggy. um he he'll tell you everything you need to know about Omaha and <laughs> he's been here with Sully and they they will tell you every single thing you need to know. And um Sully's helping our parents out right now with hotels and stuff. So I mean he's a he's a seasoned vet when it comes to comes to going to Omaha and the experiences of Omaha. So it's it's been really cool to have him on our side and to you know listen to him talk about his experiences and how teams in the past have handled it and um I forgot about him but Mikey Rivera um you mm. know he was on the 2017 team and uh he just got done with pro ball and so he's been a really big help too he's been a great addition to the coaching staff and helping our catchers and um being a first base coach and every everything that he's brought to the table has been really cool so I mean, there's, you know, as as a team, we don't have anyone that's been but our coaching staff has um, handled the situation really, really well. And I think I think we'll be more than prepared to to play this week.
1: So with that level of excitement, I'm curious how you balance that. Is it important to keep sort of an even keel? And despite that excitement, that extra little oomph you've got to try and keep things as normal as possible?
4: Yeah, absolutely. I, that's funny you say that. Actually, someone texted me this morning. Um, congratulating me and everything, and they were like, "Don't forget, the mound in Omaha is still sixty feet six inches." Yeah, like we're still playing, still playing ninety feet. Um, from first to second, from home to first, it's it's all the same, you know. Really, the only thing that's changed is the the stadium's a little bit bigger, but that's about it, you know. It, the excitement of Omaha is there, but in reality, I think once we get there, once we practice on the field, once we see everything, the surroundings and Um, you know, get a, the opening ceremony out of the way and that'll, that'll kill a little bit of the nerves. And I think, I think really just being excited to play more baseball, honestly.
1: Well, Hurston, you've had a a great run here lately. We hope that it continues when you get to Omaha and and thank you so much for joining us today.
4: Yes, sir. Appreciate y'all for having me.
1: And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to Gator Tales wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review to help us continue to grow. Be sure to keep track of all of the orange and blue action by visiting FloridaGators.com, then come back here every Thursday during the athletic season for an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Thank you so much for tuning in to Gator Tales.